How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome back to the Brick House for another edition of Bo's Football Final here at KHON2.com or anywhere you download podcasts. I'm your host, Rob DeMello, joining me, my brothers, former University of Hawaii player and coach Rich Miano. We got former Rainbow Warrior offensive lineman R.J. Hollis. And fellas, it's the end of the road for the University of Hawaii football team as the Rainbow Warriors close out their 2022 schedule with a 27-14 loss at San Jose State this past Saturday. It was the Dick Tomey Legacy Trophy game that will be retained by the Spartans here moving forward. But it's the end of year number one under head coach Timmy Chang. Obviously, we have a lot to talk about, a little bit about this San Jose State game. But of course, more of the focus will be moving ahead now as we start to look ahead to the 2023 University of Hawaii football season. But before we get going, before we start talking about this thing, let's hear from the Rainbow Warriors themselves. And in this opportunity, we're going to hear from Stephen Fiso, who had his most productive game of the year, two catches, 49 yards and a touchdown. Remember, he had two touchdowns in the season finale last year at Wyoming. So this is a guy that saves his best for last. But this is what he had to say about waiting his turn to have a game like he did against San Jose State. And of course, moving forward here with the Rainbow Warriors. Oh, it's been a hard time for me, you know, but it was all God's plan. You know, I've been waiting for this moment in my life, you know, just adding values to the team, you know. 3-10 and 10 overall on, on this year. Disappointing there when you look at the wins and losses. What will you take away from this season? No, you know, we got to learn from our mistakes, you know. Uh, and I know we, next year we're going to come back. Uh, we're going to feel this pain, you know. And we're going to pay it off. This just means a lot to us, you know. They're the ones that set up this foundation for us. Uh, the, the younger guys that are coming back next year, you know, they, they set the foundation of brotherhood. So, you know, I'm going to miss them a lot. Again, that was Stephen Fiso, receiver for the University of Hawaii football team. Two catches, 49 yards, and a touchdown. Mahalo to Alan Hoshida, who was able to do that interview here after the game on Saturday as the University of Hawaii fell to San Jose State 27-14. to Now, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot to talk about, but majority of what we will be talking about here on Bo's Football Final is looking ahead to next season now that the 2022 campaign is in the rear view as the University of Hawaii finishes 3-10 and 10 on the season, 2-6 and six in the Mountain West Conference. But first things first, Rich, it's a game that everyone had circled in the calendar. The Rainbow Warriors going up against former quarterback and captain Shevin Cordero. Shevin had a phenomenal game leading the Spartans to the victory. But when you look at the biggest takeaway from this finale of the 2022 season, what comes to mind? I think um, the fact that this Hawaii team, and you can talk to every head coach and every coordinator in the league, not only did they get better, but even if they had a bad game, they fought to the very end. There was no quit in this team. There was no quit in this coaching staff. You know, I, I think for the most part, when you look at the big picture, you see that Timmy Chang, who was hired late, and was not in control of a lot of things, did a real nice job of controlling his coaches. They coached the kids up. Uh, the players got better. They, Like I said earlier, they never quit. They were competitive. You know, they, they won a few games. They, they laid a solid foundation for Timmy Chang and this coaching staff. And even though they lost to a good San Jose State team, I had a lot of pride in the, how tough they were, how resilient they were, the adversity, all the cliches 
that you talk about as a head coach or your assistant coach or as a player, this team played or practiced like they were, you know, 10 and three instead of three and 10. So I got nothing but uh, appreciation for Timmy Chang, his staff and these players and the, in the senior class, man, this was a senior class that had more adversity than anybody else. And, you know, and I got a lot of respect for all of those kids. Yeah, when you look at this game against San Jose State, Braden Shaker goes 25 of 45, 230 yards passing, a touchdown. He was sacked three times. The 20 incompletions, I don't think, really reflects the kind of game that mm -hmm. he had. We talked about it on the Spectrum Sports broadcast that you could probably count seven, eight drops by the time mm -hmm. that game was over. A bunch of those incompletions were him throwing the ball away making the right decision in that moment. So 20 incompletions mm -hmm. didn't quite match the game that Braden Shager had. Rushing the football, the University of Hawaii tried to run the ball 26 times, held to 43 yards. That was their worst rushing effort of the game. We all knew, though, heading in that San Jose State's strength of their football team was 1A, Shevin Cordero pulling the strings in that offense, and 1B, that defensive line that has been the strength of the conference really here over the last few years. As far as receiving goes, Stephen Fiso, the aforementioned returning football player for next season, 49 yards and one touchdown on just two catches along the 27. Zion Bowens had the majority of the catches, six catches for 48 yards along of just 12, though they – University of Hawaii not be able to stretch the field much in this San Jose State game. And then when you look at defensively, Logan Taylor, all this guy does is rack up double-digit efforts, 13 tackles to lead the way. Meki Pea had nine tackles with a tackle for loss. Peter Manuma and Blessman Ta'ala, each seven tackles. Great to see Ta'ala end his UH career in that way. The ultimate Ironman for this University of Hawaii football team. He also had a tackle for loss on Shevin Cordero. And so RJ, with all that being said, the numbers thrown out there and we talked about it as far as this football season coming to an end. If that was the last glimpse that you had of this rainbow warrior football team here in 2022, how do you walk away feeling about this team? Uh, I think I'm going to just, you know, piggyback a lot off of what Rich said. They had a lot of resilience. They had a lot of fight. Uh, this time last year when Chevin Cordero left, that's what sparked a lot of the things that led to Timmy Chang getting hired. And, you know, when you lose a guy that's that talented and he showed that on Saturday, how talented he is. And obviously being the passing yards leader in the Mountain West, when you lose a guy like Chevin Cordero, you feel that Timmy Chang had to deal with losing Chevin Cordero, Darius Mulsau, Corey Bethley, as well as all the drama coming in, just like this senior class did. But, they still had multiple games where they competed and they weren't even supposed to compete. They were predicted to win two or three games. That's ultimately what they did. But as you know, most of the Bulls football final listeners know, there's been countless times where this team has fought so hard that it's put itself in positions that it really shouldn't have been in. And unfortunately, it rolled out and panned out into a 3-10 and 10 season. But after seeing a lot of the competitive games, after seeing the, the emotion and passion of the senior night, Last week against UNLV, the underclassmen giving a tribute haka to the seniors and the fight that we know that they had coming into the San Jose State game. I think you just have to have a lot of admiration and respect for the brotherhood. I mean, in this day and age, it's very easy to jump ship when things get difficult. But it seems, you know, this locker room is almost more strong in loss than they were in previous seasons where they had more victories.
Yeah, absolutely. And and I've said this before on Bowie's Football Final where, hey, I've been covering this team for over 20 years now, and there's been a few three-loss campaigns along the way. June Jones had one. Nick Rolovich had one. Norm Chow had uh, uh, seasons like this. And, and this one felt a little different. This one felt like a situation of that this was a team that was somehow still overachieving in a way despite – coming up short in these games. And, and I think that's kind of what the difference of this season as compared to others are. But with that being said, this is a results-based business. And so fans should expect victories. Fans should expect improvement. And uh, we'll see what happens here moving forward. But as we look at 2022 coming in to an end, I want to pick out a couple of players and, and, and their performances of the season and get your thoughts. And obviously in the game of football, the, the spotlight always shines brightest on the quarterback position. Braden Shager, who entered the year really as a co-QB one with Joey Yellen, was able to take over the starting role here towards the back end of the season or, or for majority of the season and, and running all the way through. He finishes as a 55% passer for 2,348 yards, 13 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. He averages about 200 yards passing per game. Uh, Rich, you've been someone that has been very vocal about the improvements of Braden Shager, and that goes both under the helmet and skill set-wise. Now that the season is over and you're able to see a full picture of, okay, this was this was Braden Shager as a sophomore at the University of Hawaii, not knowing what the future holds as for as far as offensive identity and all that moving forward, what's going to happen in the offseason. But if, if this is his sophomore year and you're projecting him moving forward as the QB1 of this Rainbow Warrior football team, what are your thoughts? Yeah, and, that, and that's one of the reasons why, Rob, I'm most optimistic about the foundation because you have a sophomore quarterback that has at least two years of eligibility that I know of. And, I, and I'm tired of thinking about eligibility because I've seen guys have like seven years now, but <laughs> this, this guy can play. And you talked about it earlier, Rob, you take away the drops and everybody drops balls here and there, right? Even in the national football league, but he put some of those seven or eight drops on the money. And if they were not in the hands, they were slightly overthrown with diminutive slot receivers. And you put Stephen Fiso in the mix, it looked like Greg Salas, you know, running post and running digs. And I'm telling you, with those young receivers next year, and, you know, they got to replace the tackles, and that's huge. They got to have a running game, but they get Tylen and, you know, Johnson and some other kids. But if I was coming into the situation, the first guy I'd want to know, do we have a quarterback? And the answer is a resounding yes. This kid had made, has made more throws, and he's taken more command of this offense. And, again, you know, I go back to everybody said, and I, trust me, quarterback's the toughest position to evaluate, and it took the staff too long, five games. That's one of my critiques of this past season to figure out he's the guy. But now that you figured out he's the guy, going into next year, Man, you got to be excited with a guy that can make all the throws. Maybe he'll get a little bit more, a little quicker feet, you know, but they did have the quarterback draw a uh, power. They did have the couple of running plays for him. He did scramble around. He does extend plays. He does a lot of stuff that I promise you when I tell you, you put it all on film, he could play at a higher division or level with his arm talent. 
And some talent coming back, as you mentioned. You mentioned some of those names, Tylen Hines, Jordan Johnson. You got Walthall. You got Pinoke coming back, Kuali Nishigaya, Stephen Fiso. The, the list goes on and on. There, there are guys that uh, participated in this offense over the course of the season. And some are just four games so that they could redshirt. Some are a little bit more. Some are guys that maybe you only saw glimpses of, like a Stephen Fiso or a Nick Senecal uh, or even an Avery. Uh, but there is experience coming back and i think that was the big thing this past year right where people kind of uh picked at straws as far as like how can you say that this is a young football team when there's so many seniors that are leaving mm-hmm. at the end of the year but you know really it all comes down to experience i mean i i could hire a a 65 year old sportscaster tomorrow but if if he's never been a sportscaster you know, then it's, you can't really say this is a veteran group within the office, right? I mean, that's how it works. And so RJ, when you look at, at Braden Shager uh, from an offensive lineman perspective, understanding uh, that, that you look at things a little differently because you're someone who protected a quarterback. You're someone that understood that if I do this, and if this guy does this, then these things can happen. Was Braden Shager good enough in his sophomore season to make you think that, his junior season, you could see a, a big growth spurt. Uh, I'm going to be honest, not at first. Um, he had, like I said, four pick games with no touchdowns and making some decisions. He was staring down his first option at the beginning of the season. You go to the last four or five games, and I think he's checked every mark of what was a weakness for him. And not only that, he's improved on it. You talk about drops. I mean, when you take statistics and you look at a completion percentage, Drops are not, you know, put in that percentage. It's not this is their percentage with drops. This is their percentage without drops. This is their interceptions with drops. This is their interceptions without drops. It's a two-part, you know, piece. So there has to be wide receivers that have to step up as well. Not a single wide receiver this year went over 500 yards receiving. So there has to be some improvement and developing in the receiving group. But I think for Braden Shager individually as a quarterback, if I'm the tackle, if I'm somebody that's blocked for him, I never – discredit the quarterback for a drop because I can see that I can see the ball hit his hands and he dropped it so you know I I think Braden Shager has definitely shown especially in these last games that he has improved even at the beginning of the season when we were talking about naming a quarterback you guys remember what I said you know you can't just name it you got to go out there and take it and Braden Shager went out and benched two former four-star recruits and you know when you got four-star recruits sitting on the sideline for a guy that was in high school a couple years ago hey He's done something where these coaches can see he's better. But I think in these last couple of games, he's shown even the most casual viewer, the casual offensive-minded person. Hey, you give him a good wide receiving core, you keep his protection up. Uh, Rich hit something on the head earlier. You're going to have to replace two bookends and Il Manning and Austin Hopp, which is going to be very important. But I feel like a year of development, a year of getting bigger, faster, stronger, spending private time with Ian Shoemaker, maybe even picking the brain of, you know, Timmy Chang and having him go back to his days under the center and some of the things he saw. I think with that in an entire offseason plus the progression we've seen, there's more than enough to show that Braden Shager can be a really, really great quarterback when he uh, graduates or ends his career at the University of Hawaii. And hopefully he does that with this transfer portal NIL free agency era. You know, that's interesting. Uh, and, and we will talk a lot more about this offense. We will talk uh, a little bit more about Braden Shager moving forward because we got a lot of great questions here in the Bose football final mailbox. Uh, but RJ brings up an interesting point as far as the transfer portal goes. 
it's really interesting, Rich. Something that you didn't really have to deal with in your time of coaching at the University of Hawaii is that when the season ended, typically in, in your day of coaching, it was like, okay, it's recruiting <laughs> season. Let's get to work. Now you almost have to split it down the middle and say, all right, it's recruiting season. Let's get to work. But it is also re-recruiting season to make sure that these guys that do have eligibility are coming back next season. Uh, how much of a juggling act do you think that is? And with that being said, I will make it clear to everyone listening right now, players will always, for, for as long as this transfer portal thing exists, players will always leave, okay? It's going to happen. We've already seen it. I mean, there's already five guys in the portal from earlier this season, guys that weren't playing, guys that were anticipated the red shirt that decided, like, you know what, I'm not going to stick around. I'm going to go somewhere else. So, I mean, there's already players in the transfer portal. Uh, we haven't seen any that are that have been playing here as primary members of this football team as of yet, but it's likely going to happen. There's probably going to be a couple here and there because of just the situation at hand. It doesn't mean that the 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 boat is sinking yet again and there's issues it's just this is going to happen and so rich when you try to wrap your mind around that as far as getting ready for the next season but then having to re-recruit your football team how difficult is that yeah and rob i got to talk to a lot of veteran coaches and this transfer portal is wearing these guys out and that's where i think having a timmy chang and a young staff in a staff that understands the bonding and the and the love and the how to coach these kids and relate to these kids is really important because I talked to Brent Brennan about that. It's the same thing because if you don't have that, you're going to get an inordinate amount of people transferring. By having a Timmy Chang and these young guys and coaching them up and loving them up and doing everything they can in their power to try to make their lives a little easier, I think you got a chance to keep some of these kids. But you mentioned, Rob, there's going to be guys leaving no matter what. That's just a product of the transfer portal. But, you know, you got to, like, classify these guys, right? To me, I go Tylen Hines, Peter Manuma, and, and I go a guy like Braden Shager. Those guys are almost sacred, right? And then you got guys, other guys. You got Jalen Wathel. You got guys like Verdell Edwards. You got a bunch of good players that you just hope don't want to go somewhere else for whatever reason. Even if it's not money, it's just whatever reason it is, right? And so – it's just so important to love these guys up. You got to do it all season long, get their trust where you can break them down and coach them up because you still got to coach them, right? But I think Timmy Chang's done a lot of things to build this ohana, build this brotherhood to keep a lot of these guys that normally would leave. And that's what happened last year, right? You had the exact opposite. And that's why you had 19 good football players leaving the transfer portal. So he knows he's got to raise a little bit of money and maybe give a little something to some of these superstar young guys, you know, really good players. Uh, but at the same time, I think that, you know, this transfer portal has changed the game as we know it. And I think that this staff understands that. And I think you'll hear about guys like we already know have left for whatever reason. But I don't think it's going to be a mass departure. I don't think it's going to change the face of the foundation that they're building. I think we got the concrete slab and we got to continue to erect some columns. And they know what they need, Rob. They need two defensive ends that can rush the passer. Obviously, they need two offensive tackles. You know, that's the kind of they're going to need some corners because they can move those guys inside. Timmy Chang knows exactly what they need. They're going to go to the JC route. They're going to go to the transfer portal. And you know what? I think this team's going to be more talented next year than it was this year.
Yeah, and, and hold that thought because we will talk a little bit more about recruiting and recruiting needs here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, but defensively, before we start getting to that, when you look, you brought it up. When you look at the the overall cumulative statistics for this UH football team, one, two, three, four of the teams leading five tacklers return next season, right? And that's that's blasphemy. That's crazy to think because at this time last year, we we're talking about that. 72% of all statistical production of this football team was lost. And the University of Hawaii entered the year having the least amount of statistical production returning to a football team in the entire country. And now when you look just one year ahead, you have Logan Taylor, Peter Monoma, Mekki Pay, Verdell Edwards, all expected to return next season. And those are four of the five leading tacklers. The only one that is not returning is Panay Pavihi, who was the second leading tackler. And that kind of leads me to what I want to ask you guys about real quickly is Logan Taylor. He's almost one of those guys that when you think of this 2022 season, he might be the face of the season. When you, If you exclude Timmy Chang and his coaching staff from the equation of being first-time uh, coaches here uh, coming into and trying to rebuild this program, Logan Taylor might be the face of this program as far as this 2022 season because it – he almost resembles everything that the team went through, right? Resiliency and patience and making the most of an opportunity. And when everyone's doubting you, uh, being able to overcome that and to be able to prove yourself. This is a guy that only started the last six games of the year. And he finishes as the leading tackler on this football team. 85 tackles on the year, only starting six games, right? And, and so when you look at those six games, that he came in and, and he started, it started on the road at Colorado state because uh, an injury to Isaiah Tufanga against Nevada where Logan had to come in in relief. But that first game he has nine solo tackles. The second game, eight solo tackles against UNLV. He had 11 solo tackles, but, and that's not even counting the, the total tackles, right? In in almost every single one of those games, or in fact, every single one of those games, he goes, 16 tackles, 13 tackles, 11 tackles, 13 tackles, 11 tackles, 13 tackles. That is blasphemy, Rich. How did this guy do that? And and how important is he to this football team? And and I think anyone will agree that does he have everything that you're looking for in an NFL combine? Absolutely not. He doesn't have the height. He doesn't have the weight. He doesn't have the speed. He doesn't have the shuttle. He doesn't, none of that stuff is going to blow people away at the NFL combine. But on the football field, this dude is a football player. First guy, six games in a row, double-digit tackles since Jacob Espial. That's going back a long way because I coached Jacob. When you look at Logan Taylor, we talked about this, and I don't ever want to tell somebody that no matter how good you do, you can't play in the NFL because people told me that my whole life, probably all the way past my senior year playing in the hula bowl and doing all the things that I did. So – yeah, but Rob, you're right. He doesn't fit any of those charts. You know, he's not going to get invited to the senior bowl. He's probably not going to get invited to the combine. He's probably just going to be a great college football story. But even before he started, he was the inspirational leader. They're talking about him taping his fingers up on a Friday walkthrough. And he's like, why are you taping your fingers up? All we're going to do is walk through. He goes, I'm full speed. I'm full speed every day. You got to, you know, take that kid off, making tackles on Friday, hitting people. And the dude is just a different cat, right? And, you know, I got to give credit because that D-line started playing better. They started attacking more, I think, schematically. 
But make no mistake about it, bro. He's the heart and soul of this defense these last six games. And there's a huge correlation of why they've played so much better. Because if you ask me the first four or five games, Rob, I didn't think there was enough talent on this field for these guys. I thought they were going to be last in every statistical categories. They were leading the nation in missed tackles. They were probably blowing assignments. They weren't athletic. It was like, man, this is going to be a long season. The transformation this coaching staff made with this group of players, and Mekki Pay has a lot to do with that, the insertion of him. Uh, but also you started getting play from Jonah Kahavai Welch and Andrew Choi. You know, we could talk about Ezra Evai Malo and all those guys that helped out with blessing them. But you know what? It's Logan Taylor, as you mentioned, has got to be the face of this program because if you want to learn how to play football, practice football, and have the right attitude, that dude's off the charts and the intangibles. Yeah, and, and when you look at the the six conference losses that this team had, four of them by one possession, and really you can throw that San Jose State game in there because they were at the doorstep in the red zone with a chance to cut it to a one-score game late in this one, but was unable to get into the end zone. And so by no means were they out of this game. And so that's when you look at the eight-conference game, there is only one game that the Rainbow Warriors were not in it. And that was at Fresno State, which I'm pretty sure that every coach in the conference will agree is probably the best team in this conference. Will they be able to beat Boise State in the title game? As far as talent goes, Fresno was the best football team. We'll see what happens with that. But um, RJ, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have a lot more time in this podcast because we have so many questions that came in. And, and so, um, we're going to move past Logan Taylor. I, I think that, you know, he can come up certainly because some of these questions will uh, allow an opportunity for Logan's name to come up. Um, and, and in fact, we'll start with this uh, real quickly before we get to the questions. I just want to know, and this won't be statistical. This is just purely watching the football game and understanding the, the V in MVP. When you look at valuable, who's your MVP of this football team in 2022 most valuable player the player most important to this team here in 2022 uh yeah i mm. <laughs> i don't even one. know coming, so that's again i got two i got two in my head but i oof. the great thing is there's no wrong answer this is yeah, your there. mvp um <laughs> I mean, I would, I would definitely have to say Logan Taylor, uh, only because he didn't start with the season. He he didn't start, and he's been here. You know, he's been through the coaching change. He sat on that sideline. He waited his turn, and not only did he came come in, he came in like, you know, I mean, DMX in the the album when he was covered in red, DMX, old school. Like this dude plays the way you want your linebackers to play, the way you want your players to play. I remember as I started, Rob, you gave me the opportunity uh, back in, I believe it was 2018, to speak on Kaimana Padello because I kept harping everybody how good he's going to be. I kept harping. But the best thing about Kaimana Padello was exactly what you said about Logan Taylor. He does not look like the prototypical NFL super recruit guy that's going to make what he's made on this field, six straight games of double-digit tackles right off the bench. I mean, it's almost it's almost impossible to put that together. I mean, close second in MVP would be Il Manning. 
just because of how great he's been, how much of an Iron Man he's been. But Il Manning's very quiet, very stoic. I think when you talk about Logan Taylor taking a field, it's not just what he's done himself. But like Rich said, you see the defensive line tacking more. You see Jonah Kahaha by Welch seeming to come out of his shell. Andrew Choi, Ezra Ivarmalo, you know, Mekki Pei. And I don't think it was strictly just Logan Taylor coming in and doing what he's doing. And they're just like, oh, that was a great play. I think it's the passion he plays with, the the appreciation he plays with. He loves being on that field if we're 0-12. So having that type of mentality seep into a locker room that's already lost so much and still having the appreciation to hit the field the way Logan Taylor does, make the impact on the game that he does, and just be that humble, quiet leader that if I'm on the sideline, I love and support this team just as much as if I'm a consecutive starter. So I, I think just overall, you know, you got to give that nod to Logan Taylor. Oddly enough, we were just talking about him, but when you look at what he's done, the fact he didn't start the whole season and leads the team in tackles, as well as being a spiritual and emotional leader, hey, man, uh, uh, got to tip your hat off to LT. Wow. I just yeah. realized there's a for LT. Yeah, That's right. crazy. It's really crazy. But it's a good omen. Yeah, but, uh, it's a good initial to have. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, when you look, I'm glad you brought up Manning because I think, you know, and you understand this more than anybody, RJ, is that when when you're on the offensive line, a lot of times the only time anyone notices you is when there's a penalty. And, and so I think there's been a lot of frustration yeah. as far as a personal foul penalty here, a holding call here in the third quarter, whatever it is. Where, But when you look at the overall picture, if you talk to anyone who's grading these offensive linemen, if you're talking to anyone who's who's uh, really dissecting the play, Manning had a phenomenal season and he definitely will be lost. Rich Miano, I want to get your thoughts before we move to the mailbox as far as your MVP. Do you agree with RJ, with Logan Taylor? Do you have someone else in mind? Yeah, first of all, I'm going to go career MVPs. And L. Manning, to me, as well as well as Blessman to Allah, man, I don't know if we gave those guys enough love or appreciated those guys because they're so important to the foundation of this program. Man, I... They played, you know, offensive and defensive lines. So I hope we talked enough about these guys, the value. But then I'm going to go all the way back to try MVPs with the three guys. I said Peter Manuma, Tylen Hines, and Braden Shager as the MVPs. But I'm going most inspirational award to Logan Taylor. And I'd name him captain right now moving forward for the next year's team because this guy is everything you want your team to embody. This guy, like you say, is the heart and soul of this program. This guy has meant more to this team's foundation this year than any single guy. So I know I'm all over the place. I like to give a lot of love to a lot of people. But, man, I'm telling you, even I like a Mecky Pay should win, like the walk-on, Ben Yee, whatever it is. That dude made a difference too, bro. But, you know, so much love for both Ilm and uh, my man, Lessman, their careers have been MVPs. Absolutely. And I think you could throw Diedrich Parson into that mix as well as the same kind yeah. of role than everything that they've been through. And really the the stability of a team in arguably, and I think it's not much of an argument because I think this was the most unstable time in University of Hawaii football history. Those guys will forever be legends as if they were on teams that had 10 wins. And I think it's for anyone that follows this program, anyone who really understands uh, the, just everything that these guys have been through, 
those three guys I think that you mentioned and, and you know, or those two guys and then Parson thrown in there, just how important they were. Yeah, real quickly, Rob, meeting with every, you know, all the coaching staffs we met with this year, there are two groups that were mentioned amongst the best in the Mountain West Conference. There was the offensive line and it was the running back group. And I agree with that because Diedrich and Tylen, along with that offensive line, those were the two strengths positions that got mentioned as being the best potentially in the Mountain West Conference. Well, on that note, and speaking of coaching staffs, that's where we're going to start the Bose Football Final Mailbox. And again, much mahalo to everybody who not only supports this podcast, but also that sends in the questions every week, whether it's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or through email. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, I know a lot of times we can't get to all the questions. We try to get to as many as we can, um, but we really, really appreciate you guys. And we're going to start with David, who's asking this question. I'm going to let you start, RJ. And, and, you know, in fact, I'm going to give you guys both an opportunity. So when I ask this question, uh, you know, if, if RJ goes first, Rich, I want you to jump in right after, and then we'll go into the next after that. Uh, but David is asking, what do you think the biggest lesson learned by this new coaching staff was in 2022? RJ. The value of the little things. I think that's the value of time, mostly because they were, you know, hired so late that they didn't have a full schedule to do everything. But assuredly, the value of the little things that we noticed as analysts and, you know, as outside viewers, what this team could have done, the games they could have won, how close they were in those one possession matchups. You have to know that that's eating at these coaches because more wins equals better, you know, opportunities for them, more money for them and a better legacy for them to leave behind. So I think the biggest lesson that they got is, you know, we push our guys to go out there and perform. We push our guys to, you know, go out there and do everything that they can. But I think we have to stress the very minute little things that we started at the very beginning because that's ultimately what's going to decide things at the end of the year. Wins and losses is all that matters. But everything leading up to that will affect whether or not you win or lose. The first four Mountain West matchups, University of Hawaii lost three of them by one possession or less and was in that coin toss scenario where you come in the fourth quarter and you're one possession, you're right there. So I think if anything, the coaches have to see that, that, you know, don't stray away from what you do. Don't get too caught up in what the fans are saying or what a run and shoot should be or how you should use a player. Just keep everything simple and make sure that the players you put on the field have all of the minimal and basic foundational properties and qualities that you need for a football player. The extras, like the speed of a Tylen Hines or the instincts of a Verdell Edwards or the heart of a Logan Taylor, those are all extras. You can't expect that from everybody. But making sure that everybody does the little things correctly, from the starters to the backup of backups, I think that's the biggest lesson these coaches saw is that if we do everything right, we can go into this Mountain West Conference in the next season and compete in games we really shouldn't even be in. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say RJ is spot on, you know, and he sounds like a coach. And it is the little things, right? Because you mentioned, Rob, and besides the Fresno State game, it's one guy making a play on offense, defense, special teams, and Timmy Chang's coach of the year. They're competing for a conference championship, possibly. They're in a bowl game. And so that leads me to head coach, right? He knows this. We talked to Timmy at length. The turbocharging of the offseason conditioning program for, you know, the, what they have now. The turbocharging to the junior college and uh, the, the transfer portal, as well as obviously the high school foundational kids. 
they're only they're not that many players away from it being a championship teams. They're not many uh, as far away as it looks like re record wise. When you watch the film, they're this close to being a championship team. So it's the little things. It's recruiting. It's working out this offseason. It's every day taking care of what you can take care of. And I think Timmy gets it. I think this coaching staff is young enough and enthusiastic enough to go out and recruit their butts off. And I think Cody Cook and Tommy Heffernan and that strength department knows that, man, if we just get these guys a little bigger, stronger, faster, we got a chance. And everybody's got to be in the boat, rowing in the same direction. And they got to believe in what they have and believe in each other. And I think there's a good foundation. Awesome. All right. We're going to move on to the next question. This comes from Aloha Shoyu and not the corporation, just a dude on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> Aloha Shoyu. Uh, what do you expect the offensive philosophy to be next season? I'm going to let you start, Rich. And, and I think this question is being asked because midway through the season, in the bye week, it was brought up, hey, run and shoot concepts. I know everyone's tired of hearing those terms, run and shoot concepts. Um, but there was a little bit of the run and shoot uh, implemented into the offensive identity of this football team, which then created more lack of identity than anything else. I think uh, as far as, Hey, you're either one thing or you're the other thing. And, and with this UH football team offensively didn't quite know what they were yet in this first season. Um, with that being said, you now have a full off season ahead. You have spring training camp, fall training camp to really put a label on yourself offensively. Who are you? Rich, from what you understand, from what you project, what would this offense look like in 2023? Yeah, Rob, that's kind of the elephant in the room, you know, and I think schematically, Timmy Chang has said to us, you know, shaking hands and, and, and kissing babies and raising money was so important for this program, probably unlike any other program, that he wishes he would have spent more time, you know, with the X's and O's and the offensive philosophy and stuff. But when they made that transition to the run and shoot, when you look at the times they've sparted the last six or seven games, you know, when they started spreading it out more and going vertical in that passing game, whatever else, man, they looked explosive and they've got a lot of potential coming back. So, you know, as much as Timmy's going to still have to raise money and do all the things you got to do as a head coach, all the administrative stuff, I think he's going to take a little bit more charge of this offense in terms of the vertical passing game, the run and shoot concepts. When they went fast and they went tempo, and some people can say, yeah, they were down by two scores. That's why the DBs loosened up and gave them the underneath passing game and all that kind of stuff. But man, they did some good things schematically. And I don't know if it's going to be hundred percent run and shoot, but I think they will be more in the playbook. I think Timmy's going to have more of a say of what this offense is. And I think there's exciting times because they do have the, all those young receivers you talked about. I can name them all. They do have Braden Shaver coming back. We got to go out and get a couple of tackles, but that interior line man, the left guard didn't give up a sack at 825 snaps. I mean, they got some good things working. So yeah, to me, offensive identity as they self scout themselves, I think Timmy's going to go like, you know what? For the first year, guys, we did okay, but we got to come a long way in what our identity is, what we're going to be, you know, teaching these kids for the next, you know, six months, nine months, whatever it is. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to have to go piggyback off Rich. I think run and shoot's going to be, you know, what you look for. I think you're going to have to try and uh, get a little bit more mobility and Braden Shager just to be able to escape and have more time to, read those but he can make the throws he's got the arm talent another thing is when you came into this season you had the most experienced offensive line in all of the Mountain West and even in the country so naturally that combined with Dedrick Parson with Najee Bryant 
with Tylen Hines, you could easily lean on that running game. You lose Michael Vanterpool, you lose um, Austin Hop, and you lose Il Manning this year to eligibility. So next year, your offensive line isn't as experienced. Your tackles aren't as experienced. And a lot of those wide receivers that you weren't using, the Kowali Nishi guys, the Tama, the Tamatoas, you know, not as much as you should have. Those guys were recruited as run and shoot guys. So you still have some run and shoot pieces that you haven't been using. You have a good quarterback that's already shown, you know, he can be your guy. And not only that, the run and shoot is kind of a playbook that runs itself as the wide receivers come up there. The quarterback comes up, they see the defense, they make their play accordingly, which I think creates a lot of maturity in your offensive identity and in your players, because now I can't just walk out there here and play no one route and shut everything else out. I have to know defenses. I have to know concepts. I have to know strategies. So I think going towards the run and shoot and having a more, you know, inclusive, high volume offense, that's what they need to go to, especially when you look at when you put up enough points, even if you give up a lot, you can still win a lot of football games. All right. Speaking of offense, T Boogie sent this question and, and we've talked a little bit about this. So I'm going to give you guys both an opportunity. So you have your mics on. I'm going to ask this question. You give me yes or no. If you're both yes, we'll move on because I felt I feel like we've talked about it enough um, to give people an, uh, an opportunity to understand why. If there's a no in there, let's continue to discuss this. So T Boogie is asking this simple question. Should Braden Shager enter the 2023 season as the locked-in QB1 for the Rainbow Warriors? Yes. Uh, it's a trick question. Ooh, okay. But still his spot to lose. I don't believe in putting a starting depth chart in for nobody because every season you have to earn it. But obviously, all things being the same, Braden Shager would be QB1. But if somebody comes in as hungry and they can do it better than him, hey. But yeah, that's it. I'm done. Yeah, Sorry. and and you know, I mean, that, that could be said any, but if we're talking in any position, right? Yeah, like yeah, that yeah. that uh, anyone can lose their job. But I guess you know, I think more along the lines yeah. of T Boogie asking is, yeah. will he enter spring training camp as the guy? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So we're gonna move on to the next question. Thanks a lot, T Boogie, for that one. And hopefully, all of the Braden Shaker talk earlier in the podcast uh, can be paired with that question, and 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 you can understand. But uh, this comes from PITW. It's an acronym. Uh, it's an Instagram handle that I don't want to say, <laughs> so I turned it into a PITW. You know who you are. Um, your Instagram handle is pretty funny. But uh, this is his question: biggest recruiting position needs. For 2023, Rich Miano, the biggest recruiting needs as far as position goes. What does the Bows need to take the next step? Yeah, and I'm going to take it a little bit more in depth, but I'm going to make it short and sweet. Offensive tackles, defensive ends, and then the cornerback position. RJ. Just replay Rich's answer, and that's, that's <laughs> offensive tackles, defensive ends. And, I mean, even in the cornerbacks, I the, – there's a lot of good DBs. I think there's enough to develop. And, you know, a lot of these guys coming back can play. But those offensive tackles, either recruiting new guys or Roman Sapolu's development has to be impeccable. And he's got to bring, you know, Nate Adams or Micah Soliai up to uh, Soliai, excuse me, up to speed and get them ready to be those bookends because you lose two good tackles this year. Yeah, and you got Mosi coming back, a couple of other offensive linemen. And, and it's really interesting, too, that – 
the junior college route in mid-major football has become more important than almost ever before because of the transfer portal. And you have so many teams in Power 5 programs that are under-recruiting high school, but still going heavy high school, which means that the junior college route is being a little ignored because you either want the D1 transfer plug-and-play guy. If you're Georgia, you want a guy from Oregon or USC to put in there, or you want the next four-year player at your institution, you're grabbing them from high school, a top prospect. So therefore, the two and three stars along with the junior college players are being under recruited by those power five programs, which means that they are for the taking at the mid-major level. And so this is an opportunity for mid-major schools to get really good because you might be getting guys that probably you shouldn't hear over the last decade or so. Uh, So I would fully expect junior college recruiting to be heavy here in this 2023 recruiting class. And of course, you're going to have to get some young guys too, because as the years go on, you're going to need that production to be filled. Uh, let's move on to the next question here in the Bose football final mailbox. This comes from Big Al, uh, who says, three wins on the season sucks, but do you think enough of a foundation was laid by this staff and these players to make a real improvement next season? Rich, was enough done, you think, in 2022, baby steps? Well, well, there's never enough done, but I, I, I am proud of the coaching staff and the players. I, I do think, you know, we talked about they could have won more games with a, a play here or there, and they didn't sometimes get their athletic justice, right? But, yeah, that being said, let's make no mistake about it. The reason why there's, there's uh, 16 out of 22 starters were seniors, there's a lot of holes to fill. And even though you got some young cats that got some reps, whatever else, if these dudes don't work hard, if you don't, you know, recruit, uh, the right players, whatever else, we're not going to be talking about an automatic seven or eight wins in a in a bowl game. There's so much work. Uh, like I said, if this foundation has been built and they poured it with the right type of concrete, man, you're talking about pillars that are going to have to hold the roof up. This is not an easy job. It's not just like, okay, these guys graduated. We got all these young guys coming in. The reason why you lost 19 really good football players last year some of these guys shouldn't have been starting in the first place and, they, and they're good kids and they're good players, but you don't have a huge foundation coming behind them. You're talking about one injury away here, one injury away there. Every single guy from JC, every single guy from the transfer portal, every single high school guy is going to have an opportunity to compete for a job. And you know what? They're either going to start, they're going to build depth, or they're going to you know work hard with a smile on their face on scout team. But uh, trust me when I tell you, man, this team, just because what it did this year I didn't do, doesn't have anything to do with next year, bro. This whole offseason is going to be so, so important for this team to get back in terms of a bowl game, competing for a conference championship in a winning season. Uh, yeah, I literally everything Rich said. I think it's almost like my answer with the Braden Shager, you know, all things being equal, of course they've done enough. They got, you know, Tylen Hines, Braden Shager, uh, Mecky Pei, Logan Taylor, all coming back. But that would be under the assumption that they're all going to come back bigger, faster, and stronger, that they're all going to come back with the same appreciation that they had, that they're all going to come back looking at it like this senior class looked at it, which you can't guarantee for any of those things, that they're going to come back even being overlooked like some of these Mountain West teams might have overlooked them. Think about it. 
They lost a lot of talent. They lost a lot of players. So a lot of these Mountain West teams, when Hawaii came up, didn't think much of them. Maybe that's why they were in one possession games. But they're going to remember that next year, so it won't be them looking at you like, oh, this is just an easy win. So I, I think all things the same. They have done enough. But like Rich said, you know, nothing's guaranteed, especially in the offseason. And like I said earlier with Braden Shaker, you may have done some things this year, but once the season's over, that's done, and you got to go out and you got to earn it all over again. The same thing goes for the Brotherhood Foundation and the coaching staff. Yeah, and look hey, at Rob, yeah. Hey Rob, real quickly, like when you look at the success or the non-success, I, I I think it's success. You look at those four leaders, Panay, Blessman, and you look at um, Aliki Tanavasa and Diedrich Parson. Leadership and captainhood is so important, right? So I'm like jumping ahead, but I would, and, and I agree with RJ on almost everything he said today. The only reason I say Braden Shager needs to be not only the guy, but you need to make him a captain as well because he needs to feel like he's the leader of this football team and he has to be the hardest working guy. For them to be successful, he has to be able to get these troops to work harder than they've ever worked in the offseason. So that being said, and then Logan Taylor on defense, but then if you have the right leadership, you have the right work ethic, you have the coaches working their butts off, whatever else, then, yeah, I do think they're going to be successful. Yeah, and when you look ahead at 2023, it is not the easiest schedule in the world. You start on the road at SEC Vanderbilt. We saw what the Commodores did to the Bows to start the season in Manoa. That's on August 26th. Then, right after that, at home against Stanford on a Friday night, then you play Albany, an FCS opponent. You play at Oregon on September 16th. Hey. And then September 23rd, New Mexico <laughs> State. Hey. And and that's a New Mexico State team that pounded Liberty yeah. over the weekend. Uh, they finished with five wins. And they had that San Jose State game canceled after the tragedy that the Spartans went through with a player losing wow. their life. So they come up short on a bowl game. If there's a situation where... There's a a shortage of bowl game participants. New Mexico State might be first in line because of the way that they played this season. That's a bowl team that the University of Hawaii lost to in Las Cruces, and then they're going to get them again next season. They play them like a billion times here over the next 20 years. Rob, I I got a little info on that too, and you're usually ahead of me on all this stuff because you're the hardest working man in show business. But San Jose State said if New Mexico State, which was like a 20-something point underdog to Liberty, wins that game, they're going to ask for that game to be played so that they could get to six or ask the NCAA for a clearance to get to a bowl game. But you're right. That team's playing better, man. If they beat Liberty, that's some real football. Yeah, yes. yeah absolutely. That's a good football team. So, They're so, doing a good so job Rob, over you're there. Right. Look, think about that schedule, bro. It's like, you know, it's like you're going to be fighting Mike Tyson in six months or whatever else. You better get in the gym. Absolutely. Man. And, and so when you look at this football team looking ahead to 2023, it, I mean, it starts already, right? I mean, that's that's the old saying goes, is that the it, it doesn't stop for anybody. Like, the, the season's over, but that means that the new season has begun, like, already, like, like hours ago, right? And, so, and we can say unequivocally, Rob, we can say unequivocally that this next year's schedule was, even though you got Michigan, I think that next one is harder than this one because you at Vandy, you got Oregon, you got Stanford, New Mexico State has improved so much. So you're right. Besides Albany, which I don't even know anything about. Damn, those are some real football games to start the season. Absolutely. And then and then you could add another little caveat to it is that 
the Mountain West Conference no longer has divisions moving forward. Yeah. So starting in 2023, in order to play in the conference championship game, you got to finish as one or two in the conference and there's no division. So, you know, you look back at 2019 when the Bows played uh, for the conference title, winning the West division, they weren't one or two in the conference. So any other year moving forward that they wouldn't be in that game. Uh, you know, they went five and three that season. That's not good for one or two. So yeah. that, that adds to not only do you have a tough schedule, but you also have a tougher path to try and win a conference title. And, and so mm. it's definitely an uphill climb for this rainbow warrior football team. All right, let's move on to the next question. This comes from Aloha Maiden, and uh, it's a really interesting question. I love this one. Of the players that did not play or barely played, who do you think will be impact players next season? So we've talked at length about the guys that Logan Taylor and Talon Hines, guys that have made huge plays, and we know the production that's coming back. But as of the guys that were either held out for redshirting purposes, guys that were injured, maybe guys that, that we have seen in training camp and practices, who jumps out to you as far as the the potential impact players of this football team in 2023 that a lot of the fans have yet to be introduced to RJ, I'll let you start. Um, I, well, offense, I, I, they have may not have been introduced in great depth, but I've said this name uh, a million times on this uh, podcast, Kuali Nishigaya. And I think, you know, after the injuries he's had, after having the quarterback switches, switching the offense a couple of times, he's gotten a little lost in the ether, especially with his injury. But I do feel like, you know, that's somebody that hasn't been used as much. But once he finally gets his chance to shine, once they finally figure out ways to put ball to put the ball in his hands, uh, I think he'll be a big contribution to the offensive side. And then for the defensive side, I'm probably going to go Wendon Ho'ohuli, a uh, former number one recruit out of Mililani, transferred from Nebraska. Um, pass rush. That's what we've been talking about. Trying to get a good pass rush, trying to get a guy that could play on that edge, that could solidify that. You know, I feel like that's the type of player Wyndon will develop into be a more of an outside linebacker playing in the box type of guy. But when you see him play, you see the talents there. Still got to develop and polish, but I feel like for somebody that wasn't as used as you would think being a former number one recruit, I feel like if they could develop him and find a way to get him in that rotation, uh, that'll be somebody we talk about a lot next year as well. Yeah, Rob, I'm going to go with uh, Riley Wilson. Uh, you know, he's going to convert to that lion's den, and that dude got, like, legitimate speed and talent, and that Chris Brown does phenomenal jobs. But I'm going to go Kowali. I like him. I want to go Jalen Wathel because even though we saw a little bit of him, I think that's a high ceiling. I'm also going to go Ezra Ibaimalo, Anthony Sagopolutelli. I think those guys know how to rush the passer, and they're going to get a lot more time next year. And I'm also going to go Stephen Fiso. Obviously, we saw what he did yesterday. We talked about the, what he did in Wyoming game two seasons ago, but he didn't play that much this year. And, Rob, you got to give me this name because it's that good-looking running back that looks like a bigger Kealoha Polaris. Stephen or something? That's Derek Boyd. The, Derek and, Boyd. And, and Derek yeah. Boyd is a guy, you know, I'm glad that you brought him up because there's three names that I have on the top of my head of, of watching training camp, of watching the recruiting process, and really, there's going to be more guys that are on this roster or are a part of a recruiting class here previously that 
that fans did not see that will be significant members of this football team. Derek Boyd is definitely one of them with Dedrick Parson leaving the program. You have Brian Lely coming back. You have Tylen Hines. You have Jordan Johnson. But also with the anticipated growth of the run and shoot, I anticipate some of those guys to be moved as far as position goes. I think Jordan Johnson might find himself as a slot receiver just to be able to get on the field more with a Tylen Hines. And you have that speed something that this team was lacking. Derek Boyd is a legit running back with strength. He had a shoulder injury in fall training camp and uh, this university of Hawaii football coaching staff looked at what they had and they said, okay, you know what? Get healed up. You're going to red shirt and you'll be ready next season. When we really, really need you. And Dedrick Parson is no longer part of this program. And Boyd is a fantastic football player. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do in this offense. And also, when you look at defensively, you have a player that signed as a recruit, part of the recruiting class, but gray-shirted, was not part of this team. He was training with someone you know very good, uh, Rich Miano and Chad Ike in Arizona for part-time, uh, Malaki Te'o, who comes from modern-day high school, a 6'1", 225-pound freshman linebacker. He will be next season. And uh, this dude is the real deal. One of those guys that, like a Logan Taylor, where you know maybe he's not tall enough for a Power 5 program. Maybe he's a little heavier than you want him in that position. But when you watch modern day, the number one team in the country in his senior year, he was a three-star prospect just based on the 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 tangibles and the, the projections of height, weight, and all that, but was one of the best football players, hands down. Anyone that watched this team, he was one of the best football players, most important football players on that modern day team. And he is a rainbow warrior. He will be entering training camp here in the spring. That's a name to keep your eye on. And also Damari Blanks, another linebacker. I mean, you talk about Chris Brown. He's going to have guys, man, to work with. Damari Blanks is a college of San Mateo, junior college, All-American who came to the University of Hawaii. Was expected to not only play, but was expected to like be a dude here for the Rainbow Warriors. But he got into a moped accident in the offseason, and it took him all season to get himself back. He's anticipated to hit the field in the spring, but Damari Blanks is someone that you're going to want to keep your eye on. So those are three guys that not only weren't used this season a lot, they weren't used at all. They, I mean, zero damage this season as far as football goes and three guys that should be playing here next season. Rich, you want to add something? Yeah, just the Malaki um, family friend, obviously, from David. He play, and he's, he's, you know, obviously nobody's man tail, but this kid does have all the instincts. He was an MVP at our Polynesian Bowl Showcase Combine up in Vegas, and there was like 550 kids there. Um, yeah, I, I do like him. And then another thing, a little insight is that they're going to, from what I understand, unless plans change, Tylen Hines is going to spend most of the spring as a slot receiver. And some people have compared him to kind of a Chad Owens, Navy Lauer kind of combination. But can you imagine, bro, in the run and shoot with that guy in the slot who's already receiver, trained routes, hands, whatever? It's not like taking a running back that's never played there before. That kid has potential, too. So I'm kind of excited about that. Yeah, definitely uh, some pieces to play with here for the University of Hawaii football team. Thanks a lot for that question. Aloha made. That was a that was a good one. Um, and uh, let's go now. This is the last question we have from the Bose football final mailbox comes from Micah, who says uh, we all heard what the plans are. But what changes do you think will actually be made to the Ching complex next season? No changes were made this past off season, So I am very skeptical um, as you should be with anything that needs to be built here in the uh, in the state of Hawaii, not the University of Hawaii, but in the state of Hawaii. 
Um, what do you expect, Rich? And, and, and what do you know? I mean, we've seen a couple of renderings as far as what is planned. We're right now 9,000 at the Ching Complex. It's going to go anywhere between 15, 17 to 20,000 here for this 2023 season. They're going to close out the corners on, I think, three of the four corners where right now there's big gaps um, and, and, the, and the the stands don't connect, but they will which will create a tunnel for the guys to run out of, which I think will add to the experience for the fans and also help with the sound. I think anyone who went to the Ching Complex this year, some of the sound gets lost because there's so much open space. When you close that in, it's going to create a, a louder atmosphere, a little bit more energy. Um, there's plans to bring the Aloha Stadium Jumbotron from Aloha Stadium to mount to the Les Murakami Stadium side of the football field. And that will add to the experience for people, a giant HD jumbotron uh, to go with your football games. And then I also saw a rendering where there's like a, a deck being added to a certain part of the concrete structure of the Ching complex, which is going to create a, you know, a little bit more of a, an area for uh, lounging and, and walking around and being on a balcony of sorts. Uh, Rich, do you expect all these things that are being expected to be done to be done in the off season? And keep in mind, this isn't the, the Aloha stadium project run by the state of Hawaii. This will be by the university of Hawaii. Rob, if it was up to me, man, I'd, I'd have a Senate investigation hearing again on do we really want to be a Division I program? And going back to Marilyn Moniz Kohawano in 1999, she said we need to start acting like one. Here we are 23 years later. It was disheartening going around San Jose State and seeing a $70 million facility being built, seeing all the other improvements to this facility, talking to Brent Brennan and the alignment with everybody at that university as well as government, whatever else. I hope some of that stuff you mentioned gets done, Rob, but I still, I feel for these kids because we're continuing to sell Hawaii and that's it. I'm talking about, and I know Timmy Chang is going to do a great job of raising money and trying to make sure that these kids have muscle milk and they have, you know, all the things we need to do for these kids. But I really don't know if the Senate and the legislature and the new governor, Josh Green, understands the gravity of having a real division one, the importance of having a real division one program. And if you don't think these kids care about facilities and apparel and nutrition and all the things that all of their peers have, we're struggling locally to keep recruits home because we show them our facility and they know what everybody else has. And I'm not talking SEC, Pac-12. I'm talking Mountain West Conference. I've been to all the facilities. And I want to get the legislatures and the Senate all on a chartered Hawaiian air flight and show them what our competition has. Because we can continue to sell Hawaii all you want. But if we're going to help Timmy Chang, we got to help him from a facility standpoint, from a from a monetary standpoint, or else you may see guys like Tyler Hines eventually succumbing to a little bit of cash from some of these other programs or the ability to get to the next level based upon facilities, coaches, everything else. It's disturbing to me. And the older I get, Rob, the more disturbed I am. RJ, you have anything to add as the baby of the bunch? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, just, I was watching. OG was feeling it. He was in the spirit just. Because I was trying to think of the stadium, like what additions, but then I started listening to Rich, and I'm like, damn, he he in the spirit. But, uh, yeah, I'm definitely agreeing with him that it's going to be more than that stadium, but I think they're just going to work from, you know, kind of a, 
They're going to take two things, and I think that's going to be the cost of doing it and how long it takes. And whatever falls on the lowest of both of those, those might be the additions you see next year. I do not believe that of everything you just named, Rob, they're going to be able to get all of that in by next offseason. I could be proven wrong. I hope I'm proven wrong. But I think there's just going to be, you know, the most simple, cheap, and effective things that you could put in the stadium prior to your first home game next year. So I think whatever will be the simplest, whatever will be the most uh, reasonable and realistic of them getting done, I think they're going to do that. Because as of right now, even with Aloha Stadium still quote-unquote being built, you can't look at that as a home stadium for at least a few more years. So you're going to have to make some improvements and you have to create a better game day atmosphere for not just the players, but the fans also because – that's who makes your money, and that's who's paying to spend their Saturday evenings down in Manoa. So you got to give them something. You got to be able – you may you may not have $70 million to build you a new facility, but if you got a couple hundred thousand to maybe put some pads in the seats and, you know, maybe make a kid's play area or something like that, then anything you could do would be better than leaving it how it is. Oh, good job, young, young buck. <laughs> All right, hey, hey, you was in the spirit. I felt you, man. I – I was thinking about the stadium. He's like, we need to take them on a plane to the facilities right now so they can see we're not even a D1 program. I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then I'm like, should you put them in the corner? or the? And then I got lost in uh, the preaching of OG Miano. Hey, man, so. like we always do. Like we always do here on Bowie's Football Final. Uh, but, guys, that, that that just about does it. Much mahalo to everyone that send, sent in the questions. And I just want to give you each just one opportunity to to give a message to the people that listen to this podcast. Obviously, we, we make the joke all the time that the only people who ever find themselves at this podcast are people who are passionate about University of Hawaii football. You don't you don't come here by accident, right? You don't you don't fall upon both football final. And so for those passionate University of Hawaii football fans that are also heading into their offseason, Rich Miano, RJ Hollis, what do you want people to know? What do you want people to understand as you head into this 2023 offseason, Rich? Yeah, that just, you know, have a happy holidays. Glad that you guys supported us. Uh, we know how passionate you are to listen to these podcasts, to go to these games. And sometimes it seems like, you know, maybe we're not winning enough or whatever else. But Timmy Chang and this staff and all these players deserve all of our support. So hang in there. Do whatever you can to make this program better because you know what? It has great history. Past, present, and future is so important. RJ, uh, as, as me, I go through puberty here on the final episode of Bo's <laughs> Football Final, <laughs> RJ, it's your turn. No, uh, for me, yeah, definitely a happy holidays and uh, a honest and sincere gratitude, you know, to both of you guys. I mean, I tell both of you all the time, just in life, things I've been able to do with the support that you guys have given me. But a gratitude to the fans as well, because without the fan base, there's no R.J. Hollis prior to there being an analytic R.J. Hollis. Because when I was at the University of Hawaii, I'm pretty sure 100 percent of the people that was, you know, listening and watching in or the same ones that would be listening and watching now. So uh, a, tr a true and sincere gratitude and appreciation to all the fans that have stuck through this tumultuous, you know, gap in uh, the University of Hawaii football history. And to everybody that tunes into the podcast, uh, sincere gratitude because, you know, I, I really enjoy doing this. I really appreciate being a part of this and still being able to be a part of my alma mater. So uh, 
Appreciation to the OG Rich. Appreciation to my big brother, my main man, Rob DeMello. And a sincere, sincere thank you to everybody that tunes in to Bo's Football Final. Yeah, much mahalo to you guys. And, and, you know, obviously we've talked about this a few weeks ago about this, this is a passion project. None of us get anything out of doing this outside of being able to give this to the University of Hawaii football fans who who need it and 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 uh, who are searching for something like this in their life to be able to listen to, whether they're in traffic or, or running at the gym or taking your dog on the walk or whatever it is. I've heard from so many people that, that tell us the different ways in which they listen to Bo's football final. I'm really appreciative of you guys. Love you guys so much for taking time out of your day to do this. And so I'm also super grateful to your wives for allowing you guys to do this because, it's, you know, obviously I'm very thankful to my wife. Um, these are longer days than if I didn't do Bo's football final. And that means less time um, at home. I got to come into the office to do this. And so much mahalo to, to your families, to my family. And, and again, to everybody for listening, uh, we're going to, we're going to be on pause here on Bo's football final for a little bit, but like in years past, uh, we will try to power it up uh, for big moments, for big situations. Um, you know, I know a lot of people ask us to do a recruiting a signing day episode and, and we will try our best to do that. Uh, you know, the, the one thing to remember is that I, I have a full-time job where I actually cover <laughs> recruiting right uh, on the sports cast, which those days are crazy. It, you know, it starts at 4 a.m. and ends at 11 at night. And um, so it it's a little hard to try and carve out some time to do that. But we will try. I promise you. And um, and and even, you know, during the off season at certain points, uh, you know, just so I could talk to my brothers over here, we might power this thing up and we will let you know if, if a special edition is coming. And if not, then, of course, we will see you in training camp. But again, much mahalo, everybody, for joining us here in 2022 edition of Bo's Football Final. For RJ Hollis, for Rich Miano, for the entire BFF family, mahalo, everybody. Have a great holiday season. We love you guys. Take care. Aloha. Aloha.